Now, when a preacher announces that he or she is going to be teaching from the book of Revelation, I have found that usually there are three different kinds of responses. The first is fearfulness. Uh-oh. Watch out. And those who respond this way see the book of Revelation as confusing, bewildering, difficult, if not impossible, to understand. I just want you to know that Revelation is not some scary, mysterious, frightening story. It is not something to avoid out of fear. I mean, to be honest, if you give a preacher long enough, he or she will make even the simple confusing. (laughs) And that, I think, is exactly what's happened to the book of Revelation over the years. So don't be fearful. The second response is that of fanaticism. (laughs) All right! Now we're going to be talking about the real meat of the Bible. (laughs) I call them prophecy freaks. It seems these fanatics only focus is on Bible prophecy. And they've got it all figured out. Complete with charts and graphs. They can tell you who the beast is, who the false prophet is, who the Antichrist is or will be, what the number 666 really means, and how the end times are going to unfold right down to the minutest detail. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm not going to get sidetracked onto those rabbit trails during this study series. And the third response I find is that of flippancy. Oh, brother. (laughs) How irrelevant can we get? And those who respond this way to the book of Revelation see the book as too futuristic, too science fiction, as though there's nothing practical or pertinent to be learned by reading or studying through the book. And frankly, this is the response that bothers me the most. Why? Because the book of Revelation contains the most contemporary message of all of the books in the Bible. A message written for these troubling end times in which we now live. Well, this morning we began an eight-week journey into this fascinating book, a journey that will take us through the first three chapters of Revelation and Jesus' letters to the churches. You've got mail. (laughs) You recognize that, right? Kind of a little icon of sound that has become popular. That's the title I chose for this series of lessons for that very reason. And as we will discover in our study through Jesus' letters to the seven churches of Asia in the weeks to come, this mail was intended not only for the church in the first century, but also for the church in the 21st century. And although these letters were written originally to Christians nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus' words are just as fresh and relevant to you and to me as Christians today. Now before we look at each of these seven letters in chapters 2 and 3 individually, I thought it would be good for us just to spend some time this morning focusing on chapter 1 as an introduction to the letters. So let's begin by looking at the Scripture together. 
Before we dig into today's text here in Revelation 1, let's pause and let's ask God to speak to us clearly through His Word. Would you pray with me? Once again, oh dear Father, we come to this moment where we're about to read Your Word. I pray that You would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, Open our minds that we could understand and open our hearts that we would receive the truth, that seed and plant it there, that it would grow and produce fruit in our lives. Teach us, oh God, from your word today we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So follow along in your Bible as we read through the entire chapter here. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion of suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
As we take a closer look at these verses, I want you to take note with me of four things this morning. First, let's talk about the recorder. Who wrote the book of Revelation? Well, without a doubt, the recorder of these words of this revelation was the Apostle John. For he clearly identifies himself three times right here in chapter 1 and again as the book closes in chapter 22. So what do we know about John? Well, notice the highlights that I've listed there in your lesson notes. He was the son of a man named Zebedee, the brother of another apostle, James. He was related to Jesus. It seems that Salome, John's mother, and Mary, Jesus' mother, were sisters. Therefore, John and Jesus were first cousins. He was a former disciple of John the Baptist before following Jesus. His five books are the second most of New Testament writers, second only to Paul's 13 or 14 books. John wrote the Gospel of John and then three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then, of course, the book of Revelation. John had a very special and unique relationship with Jesus. He was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Interesting. You see, in the multitudes that followed Jesus, there were the 500 that Jesus appeared to at His ascension into heaven. There was the 120 who stayed in the upper room in Jerusalem from the time of His ascension until the day of Pentecost. There were the 70 that Jesus sent out two by two. There were the 12 that Jesus handpicked, His apostles. And among the 12, there were the three the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And in that inner circle there was the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus' very best earthly friend, John the Apostle. John is often nicknamed the Apostle of Love because he refers to love more than any other Bible writer over 50 times in his five books. He was entrusted with the care of Mary, Jesus' mother, by Jesus Himself on the cross. You might remember that story that Jesus was crucified on the cross and John and Mary were both at the foot of the cross and Jesus turned to Mary, His mother, and said, Dear woman, here is your son. And then to John and said, Here is your mother. And tradition tells us that in fact John took responsibility for caring for Mary for the rest of her life. And so it's this apostle that receives this revelation and records the words of this book. He experienced this vision during the uh, very end of the first century while he was exiled on the island of Patmos by the Roman Empire, in John's own words, quote, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, unquote, in verse 9. That leads us then to the recipients. To whom is the book of Revelation written? Well, specifically speaking, the message of Revelation is addressed in verse 4 to the seven churches in the province of Asia. These churches are named for us in verse 11. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus addresses a letter to each individual church. And it is these letters that we are going to be studying together over the next couple of months. 
Generally speaking, however, the book of Revelation is addressed to any and all who would read it. Look again at John's statement in verse 3. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Would you read it with me? Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Any and all who would read and heed. The book then closes in chapter 22 with an invitation to anyone, everyone, whoever, will listen and obey. The point I'm trying to make is that the message of Revelation is universal, And it is timeless. Although specifically addressed to these seven named churches, these congregations are in a way symbolic of every church in the end times. In other words, Springville Church of the Nazarene is meant to be a recipient of this message. And you and I, congregationally and individually, are meant to take to heart these words. If we do, according to verse 3, a blessing will follow. By the way, this is the only book in the Bible that specifically names a blessing to those who would read and heed it. Which brings us then to the revealer. Who reveals this revelation to John for us? Well, the obvious answer is found in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who said to John in verse 11, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And again, it was Jesus who commissioned John in verse 19, write therefore what you have seen, what is now and will take place later. Simply put, Jesus is the revealer of this revelation to John for us. But before we dismiss that fact with a simple shrug of our shoulders, I believe it is significant to notice how Jesus reveals Himself to us. For throughout the book of Revelation, we capture a vision of the character, glory, power, and majesty of Christ as in no other book in the Bible. Right here in chapter 1, there are at least 20 different descriptive phrases applied to Jesus. Verse 5, He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. In verse 8, the Alpha and Omega, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. In verse 10, He has a voice like a trumpet. That will get your attention. In verse 13, He walks among the lampstands, which we learn in verse 20 is the churches. He's like a son of man dressed in a robe with a golden sash. In verse 14, His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire, symbolizing how penetrating He sees us. In verse 15, His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, symbolizing His swift judgment. 
His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. A trumpet and rushing waters. That's quite a voice. That'll get your attention. Verse 16, In His right hand He held seven stars, which verse 20 tells us are the angels of the churches, or as we'll learn next Sunday in more detail, the messengers or the pastors of these seven churches. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His word penetrates through everything to get right to the heart of the matter. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance, symbolizing His holiness and His purity. Verse 17, He is the first and the last. Nothing's before Him and nothing comes after Him. In verse 18, He says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Wow! <laughs> I mean, no wonder in verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Wouldn't you have done the same thing? I would have. Better yet, shouldn't that be our response today? As we behold Jesus' character, His glory, power, and majesty, how can we just nonchalantly worship Christ without a deep sense of awe? How can we sing songs of praise? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Fairest Lord Jesus. And just kind of monotonely go through the words. How can we just passively go through the motions of church without any feeling or without any emotions? If we could just capture a partial glimpse of the vision of who Jesus is, it would radically change our worship. I guess that's one of the reasons why I have grown to love this book of Revelation so much because of the unfathomable way that Jesus reveals Himself. To us. It is more than anything the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which brings us then to the reason. Why was the book of Revelation written? Well, obviously the title of Revelation speaks in itself of revealing something. Something that's hidden or unknown, in this case a prophecy of things to come. That's confirmed in verses 1 and 19. But more specifically, as I have read through this book, three central themes have emerged which seem to kind of wind their way through all 22 of the chapters. Let me just give them to you. First of all, I think the book was written for comfort to the church in time of persecution and suffering. The picture here is that Jesus is still walking among the lampstands. Can you picture that? Jesus is still walking among His churches today. He is walking among us this morning. He is right here with us at Springfield Church of the Nazarene. What an awesome thought! And His presence means so much to us, especially in this world today where we're beginning to see persecution rising. Where men and women and children are giving their lives just because they're Christians. And if you think that is not coming to the United States of America, you are so wrong. Maybe even in our lifetime, I believe there will come a day where we will have to stand up and give our lives for our faith. That day is not too distant. But what a comfort to know 
that if and when that happens, Jesus is with us. Secondly, I think the book is written for the purpose of confrontation. Confrontation of the church in light of its shortcomings. We'll see that in the seven letters that are yet to come. Most often in these seven letters, Jesus says something like, here's the things I really like about what you're doing. But, (laughs) there's always that three-letter word, but, (laughs) I have a few things against you. And he names those shortcomings. And so I think the book of Revelation is a book that confronts us. Confronts the church and confronts us as individuals for things in our lives that need to be changed. We'll learn about those in the weeks to come. And then thirdly, I think the book exists for confidence. Confidence for the church that Jesus... Hear me on this. That Jesus has already secured the ultimate victory. Hear me on that? Unplug the little cord. Uh, Oh, either way. Now plug it back in. Actually, unplug the little one off the computer. Sorry, we're having technical difficulties back there. The little earphone one, yeah. And then plug it in again. There you go. <laughs> Did we lose a lose one? Confidence, all right. Hear me on this. Let's get back. Focus, will you? Let me see you. <laughs> this is probably the most exciting purpose of the book, I think. The last chapter has already been written. <laughs> You ever read one of those mystery novels where early on in the in the book as you're reading it, I mean, the hero is just getting slammed and the villain is being victorious and you're going, wait a minute, this isn't fair? This isn't the kind of book I want to read? And so you just can't stand it any longer and you go to the last chapter and you read the last chapter and in the last chapter, the villain gets his due and the hero rises to the top and you go, yeah, and then you can go back and you can read the book with a whole different sense, can't you? And that's exactly what the book of Revelation is for us. We can can go through what we're going through with a smile on our face because we know that in the end it's already been secured. Jesus has already won the victory. Wow. That is so cool. So why was the book of Revelation written? Comfort, confrontation, confidence. Let's look at the Scripture. Now what lessons can we learn from our study together this morning? Let me summarize and leave you with three simple practical applications from today's introductory lesson out of Revelation 1. Three things that we must take home with us beginning with, and this is first for a reason, number one, Our Lord is to be respected. Our Lord Jesus is to be respected. Perhaps John summed it up best in verse 6. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Would you read this with me? 
To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Well, that was so-so. <laughs> you got to do better than that. You can't read that verse. To Him be glory and power. Come on, folks. Let's read it with some enthusiasm here. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Ah, that's the way it's meant to be read. As Jesus reveals Himself to us and we behold Him in all of His glory, power, and majesty, He deserves our respect, our awe, our reverence, our adoration. There is no one else like Him. He alone is the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He alone deserves our praise. He alone is worthy of our worship. Just listen to some of the other verses in Revelation that express worship to Jesus. Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 5 verse 12 Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Revelation 15 verses 3 and 4 Great and marvelous are your deeds just and true are your ways who will not fear you O Lord and bring glory to your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you. Revelation 19 verses 6 and 7 Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. Amen. That's just a few of them. But don't miss this. Our Lord Jesus is to be respected. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we kind of drift along and we just take Jesus for granted. And He doesn't really get the respect that He alone deserves. Sometimes our worship becomes kind of ho-hum, complacent, nonchalant, shallow. Sometimes we just go through the motions not even thinking about the words that we're singing, the words that we're praying, the things that we're doing. today's study serves as a reminder a wake up call to him be glory and power forever and ever and what is our response amen, amen. oh that was pretty weak come on what is our response amen, amen. yeah <laughs> second our church is to be inspected our church is to be Inspected. Jesus comes to us as the inspector. In verses 13 through 16, he walks among the lampstands, the churches as a king. And with great wisdom, with all seeing eyes, with swift feet of judgment, with powerful words, he inspects our lives thoroughly and completely. We'll dig into the details of his inspection with the studies of these seven letters to the churches and the lessons to come. But I want to preface our study of these seven letters with this exhortation. Please. Please allow Jesus to thoroughly inspect this church. And please, allow Jesus to completely inspect your life. 
Let's give him permission, congregationally and individually, to lay open our lives in complete transparency before him. To look into every closet, every corner, every nook and cranny, nothing hidden, nothing covered up, no pretense, no hypocrisy. And let's decide right now before we even begin to study these letters that as the Lord inspects us, we will make whatever changes are necessary in our church and in our lives. You with me on that? You with me on that? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Let's read these verses from Psalm 139 out loud together. May this be our prayer as we approach these seven letters over the next couple of months. Read these with me. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Which brings us to the final application point today, and that is that our obedience is to be expected. Our obedience is to be expected. It's true that Revelation is the only book that comes with a promised blessing, verse 3, but only if, big if, only if we hear it and take to heart what is written in it. As we study these seven letters, they must not go in one ear and out the other. We must hear and take to heart. We must read and heed. We must listen and obey. We must be ready to study and apply. Our obedience is to be expected. Enough said. You've got mail. Letters to the churches. I'm excited about the things that we're going to learn together as we work our way through these seven letters from Jesus in the coming Sundays. I want to encourage you to study and read through Revelation chapters 2 and 3 again and again and again over the next two months. Camp out here in these two chapters. And actively participate with me in this lesson series. Jesus has some very important things that He wants to teach us. As we wrap up today's introductory lesson, let me just highlight the three take-home lessons we're to apply to our daily lives one more time. First and foremost, our Lord is to be respected. There is no other who deserves our worship and praise. And secondly, our church is to be inspected. Let's let Him inspect us, shall we? And thirdly, our obedience is to be expected. Pray with me. Father God, thank You so much for wisdom of this book Revelation thank you Jesus that you chose to reveal these words to John who recorded them and passed them on to these churches and that you have preserved them for us that we might 
read and that we might apply these living principles, timeless principles, to our lives. And so as we begin this journey together, over these next couple of months, just do a mighty work among us, I pray. You're the master teacher. We're your students. And we want to learn from you. And we want to become like you in all that we do and say and think. May these letters come to life, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.